There is more. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sunday sermon of May 31st, 2020 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. On Pentecost Sunday, Mike Karam speaks about the personal, communal, and global aspects of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. On the festival of Shavuot, the Holy Spirit joins the nations to Israel for God's redemptive purposes. In Acts 2, Peter invokes Joel in Jerusalem on that festival day, but Joel is speaking globally. What we have now from the Holy Spirit is only a down payment. There is more. Let us hold on in these trying times and allow the Holy Spirit to refresh, equip, and empower us as we pray for the kingdom of God to invade our time. God's word is very important. And so as we come to hear God speak through his word, a prayer was added called the collect, or collector in Latin, together, gathers our thoughts, our hearts, together as one, yes, to pray, but also to hear from God. So close your eyes, listen to this prayer, as we get ready to hear God speak. Holy Spirit, Sent by the Father, ignite in us your holy fire. Strengthen your children with the gift of faith. Revive your family with the breath of love. And renew the face of the earth. Through Jesus of Nazareth, our Lord. Amen. Scriptures appointed for Pentecost Sunday. First reading from the book of Acts. Chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all those who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each to our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, hear my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heavens above, and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, And the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, 
that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Mahlon and Chilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. This is the word of the Lord. As the synagogue stands for the revealed word of God in the Torah, so the church stands for the words that came from the lips of he who was the word made flesh. The Gospel according to John, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, 
because Jesus was not yet glorified. When David asked me to um, share on this Pentecost uh, Sunday, uh, I, you know, I said, well, that's kind of easy, you know, it's the Holy Spirit, how difficult can it be? <laughs> and then I realized it's like giving a sermon on God. <laughs> it is giving a sermon on God. So you can start somewhere, but you can never finish. So the preparation for this, uh, as you can guess, when you start to look into the depths of um, the Holy Spirit and the third person of the Godhead, you can continue to go one direction, another direction, many directions, and to kind of bring it all together is, uh, is a bit difficult because the more you read about the work of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit and, the, and the sort of the Spirit's role through the history of the biblical narrative, the more you start to see things, why? Wow, never saw that before. That's really amazing. That's, that's incredible. That's something new. That's, so it's, why? Because the Holy Spirit makes all things new, doesn't he? Or as we say in Hebrew, doesn't she? Because uh, it's a feminine. But um, today as I was preparing, I, was, I, was, I remembered a few things that were central to my own testimony, I guess, that will hopefully give you some context on what I'm about to share. Because when someone gets up to speak, it doesn't matter if you you know, know a little bit about them or know a little more about them, there's always going to be something that they will bring forth from the context of their life and their relationship with the Lord and, and their journey in God that you kind of might say, well, wait a minute, uh, where's that coming from? So, so you have some context for this. I just want to start out with a, a few different um, things, a different um, ideas to frame, different experience to frame what I'm about to share this morning. The first one is that I, in my testimony, I didn't actually come from a family of faith, not a Jewish family of faith, not a Christian family of faith. I mean, I, I had the, the blessing of growing up in a very uh, beautiful place in the world um, on the northern coast of California. And uh, we were known, uh, Jews that lived in California were known for the fact that a lot of times we went there to get away from anything that had to do with religion and faith. So I grew up a Democrat, as we say. I grew up in uh, a secular Jew in the United States. And when I came to faith, everything was new. Everything was completely new. In fact, for me, on the backside of the, the Jesus movement where everything was counterculture and everything that everybody did was against what, the, what everybody else did, and that was cool, coming to faith, even as a Jew, was not seen something as, as so completely unusual at that time. And in a way... As young Jewish people at that time, we were very, very drawn to the historical person of Jesus. That was it. It was all about, you know, who he was and everything. That was the thing that was drawing a whole generation of people. But as I started to get into the Word of God and started to read, I was, the, the things that were important to Christians and other people that I saw at that time, they had no real interest to me I guess I'd say because you know it's kind of where you come from into this book into this journey into this story that you know is sort of more important to you than what everybody else came into it so for me there was a at that time there was a huge argument about the inerrancy and the infallibility of scripture and uh, some of you who are older might know that that's not really a big issue here necessarily but that was a big issue in the western world at that time and people were arguing about the inerrancy and the infallibility of scripture and uh you know i hadn't really thought about that question but i started to listen to somebody speak about it and it really caught me now i want to say a few things first of all is that christians who were in in important in my faith journey used to say things to me that really would, you know, like I said, they really caught me off guard sometimes. And one of them was, listen, you're Jewish and it's important. And I would say, yeah, you're black or you're, you know, Irish or you're this. What's the big deal? I mean, for me, it was just an ethnic distinction because I didn't grow up in the, in the faith or any kind of faith. And then, no, 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 you have to understand you're Jewish and that's important. And so it kind of provoked a question to me, but of course, when you get into the Bible, you start to see, okay, yeah, yeah, no, this is important, actually. This has a story to do with an ancient people. But as I was looking at the Bible, and I was studying it, and I was reading about who it is, this issue of inerrancy and infallibility kind of, it, it, it tweaked my interest as well, because why are they arguing about this? What is the big deal here? You know, this is God's word. It's, a, it's, it's written for a specific purpose. 
until somebody said something that really caught me off guard and really helped connecting. You know, even if you're not growing up in the faith as a, as a Jewish person, one thing that's important is that we, it all has to fit together. It all has to fit together. We, do, we don't do very well at separating things. In our mindset, one of the things, I believe one of the gifts of the Jewish people to the world is the sense of continuity of, of body, soul, and spirit. They're not cut off. Of knowing and knowing. Of not just acquiring knowledge about something, but actually doing something with that knowledge. Every time I read the scriptures, I get so provoked because at times, even as a, as a person and a person that grew up in a Western intellectual society or Western educational system, for us, sometimes it's all about what we know. What, how much knowledge we can possess. But the scripture isn't about that. I don't know if you've ever taken note clearly about how it describes often Yeshua's work on this earth. It's about all he did and said. It's not what he said and did. It's what he did and said. And that order is important. Why? Because they're connected. The reason he had authority was because he did what he said and he said what he did. There was no separation between those two. And so when somebody was describing this whole argument about infallibility and errancy, somebody made this comment. He said, look, this is not a meal. We don't go here and have a meal. This is not the, reading this book and studying this book is not the purpose of our faith. We're not in this to acquire knowledge. This is a menu. This should provoke us. This should start us off on the journey of a relationship with God that will go on into eternity. It's not an end in itself. Because you know, and many of you know who live here, that word knowing isn't about acquiring facts in your head. The ultimate act of knowing is what? Is when a man knows a wife. It's a covenant relationship. It says, and he knew her. In other words, not only did he do something, but there was, you know, there was uh, intimate contact. And that's the point of the scripture. The point of the scripture isn't that we would acquire knowledge. Yes, truth is important. Yes, these things, we do need to have right thinking. We do need to have our, our minds shaped by truth and form, especially in this age right now that is going to be marked by huge deception, among other things. But the point of the scripture is to lead us to something. It's not an end in itself. By the way, in Islam, that's what it is. And oftentimes, even today in Judaism and in parts of Christianity, it's that as well. In fact, I recently read a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that so provoked me. He said, you know, sometimes we look at this book and Yeshua's words as artifacts to be admired but not as commands to be obeyed and and oftentimes we study the word we study the death out of the words he says but we never do anything we and then we analyze our indecision and all the time we miss the point of obeying the commands at the time they're given you know, knowledge has a very kind of uh, difficult part to it that it can often inoculate you against the real thing. I don't know if you've ever thought that. This is more of a man thing. Have you ever noticed when a man and a woman get into an argument? When a man figures out what the problem is, he thinks, okay, we're done. For the woman, no, 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 we got to walk this out. We got to talk about this more. We got to do something. For us, sometimes it's just the actual knowledge of it and we think that's enough. But no, that's not enough. We have to walk it out. It's like Ruth and her sister. I love that whole story. Both of them say, I'm going to go. But only one of them does. And not only does she go, she makes the, one of the ultimate confessions of covenantal faith in all of the Tanakh. Where you will go, I will go. Where you die, I'll die. And as anything but death separates us, that's it. The other story that, that I was coming to, and this was something that very much is part of, I believe, this, this whole 
sort of uh, revelation that we're going to get today, I believe, on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Boy, I was so encouraged by the prayer. I actually kind of got stuck on it, that prayer that we read right before. There is a individual aspect of the pouring out of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's a corporate or community aspect of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there is a a global aspect of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to hit on today. And uh, David knows this story a little bit because um, we were um, working with a particular mission organization. It's probably the largest mission organization of the, in the world today. It's, it's uh, trained more people, sent more missionaries to any other, than any other organization, to more countries, more people. It's, it's called Youth with a Mission. And unfortunately, or for some reason, Youth with a Mission has decided not to make the role, Israel's role in God's plan a core value in its mission. Now, I, I don't have time to get into why, but we felt that some of us who were, who were, who were discipled in this uh, mission organization, who were involved in it, and they've been here in the land, they've been in the Middle East, felt a, a specific burden to do something about this. This was about 10 years ago. And um, we called a conference, and the conference was called the, uh, the, the, global consulta- the Israel Global Consultation for the Israel Mandate. I can't remember. It was some big name. We were just a small group. But anyway, it came out with a big name oftentimes. You know, like the London Society for the Promotion of Christianity Among the Jewish People. You know, small name, big, big work, big idea. So anyway, we, we got together, and one of our first meetings, we had a man come and speak and to this day, I don't know if I'll ever forget what he said because it so revolutionized my thinking and my understanding of the Bible that I've kept it to this day. Now, this man was an oxymoron in every sense of the word. He did not fit, who he was didn't fit what he was about to say. And that's the reason why it caught our attention, I believe. He was a British, Catholic, charismatic theologian who had a passion for Israel. So many things in there, I didn't even know what to do with. So we invited him, he was in his 80s, and he was sitting at this meeting, and he made this statement right at the beginning, very quietly, didn't even stand up, was just sitting in his chair, leaning back, and in his, you know, very proper Sussex English said, and I won't try to redo the accent, but he said, as I see it, he said, it's not the Jewish people who join the church. It's the nations that join the Jewish people. And I thought, oh my goodness, what a statement. I mean, here I'd lived here like 20 years. I had studied this. I mean, well, I got to give some credit where credit is due. Actually, David hired me to take people down to the Western Wall to guide them through the Davidson Center to help people understand where the Holy Spirit was poured out, where that whole event happened. I thought about these issues, delved deeply into the scriptures, but when he said this, it so caught me off guard that I thought, wait a minute here, wait, 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 back it up. It's not the Jewish people that join the church, it's the nations that join the Jewish people. And it sent me on this whole, uh, a whole journey. It had, it changed the way I taught, it changed some of the things, and actually even when I was guiding down there on the Southern Temple Mount Steps, I started to look at even that event in a whole different way. I then went on to, to teach a class on the life of Shaul, Paul, in its Jewish context at Israel called to the Bible. And ha- as I saw all of these things coming together and as they kind of converged, I thought there's something here in what he said that I've missed in my reading of the Bible. And so as we look at this, this particular sort of, this Acts 2 event, I want you to keep that as a framework. I want you to keep that term as a framework. It's not the nations, it's not the, it's not the Jewish people that join the church, it's the nations that come in to the promise, plan, purpose, redemption of all the earth with the Jewish people. We as a family immigrated about 30 years ago, and... Um, Our story is a little bit like the Ruth story in many ways because um, my wife is Gentile. And when she came to this country, people kept asking her, are you going to convert? 
And she said, no, I kind of see myself like Ruth. And then all the religious ladies that she had friends with said, did Ruth convert? Did Ruth convert? To, wait a minute, did Ruth go through? And they didn't know what to say. And yet here's this story, very much a part of the, the, one of the main covenants that we're going to see in the Bible, the Davidic covenant. And here's a Moabitess, a Ruth, who comes into this story, who becomes a very central part of God's purpose. Now, why is this important? Why is, besides the fact that it's a, the agricultural aspect of Ruth, okay, we're in the middle of the barley harvest to the wheat harvest, and we're counting the Omer, and this is what happened, this is why we read the book as Jewish people during this time. But more than that is that the Holy Spirit opens up God's plan to the nations. It activates God's kingdom realm, not just for the Jewish people, but for all the earth. This changes from here on in. And in a way, if we're, if we're not careful, there, we, we sort of kind of make the Bible an either or. Well, the Old Testament is all about the Jews and the New Testament is all about the rest of the nations. Nothing could be further from the truth from God's perspective. There's so much, do you know, Dr. Walter Kaiser, one of my favorite theologians, said this, you know why I like the New Testament so much? Because it reminds me of the old. The two go together. In fact, I often say this, and I think it's part of our, part of the, you know, the main platforms of the Christchurch community is, it's not even a good thing to call it the Old Testament. Why? Because so much of it is still so much in force right now. And if you only read one half without the other, you miss God's promised plan throughout the scriptures to redeem and bless all the nations. So here we are at Pentecost. And you know what's interesting about this whole situation, and, I, and I'm always struck with it when I, you know, when I look at Acts 2, is that just think back a couple chapters. Just think back a couple months in the whole, did I drop that? No, in the whole uh, sort of biblical narrative. Peter is done. Look, he's, he's denied the Lord three times. His, if anybody is finished in this whole program, it's got to be Peter. He said, no, Lord, I'm going to go to you to death. That's, it sounds like Ruth. And yet, he fails miserably. Look at Naomi's life. Look at the whole situation. We look at so many things in the Bible and why does it encourage us? Because against hope, people believe. When people seemingly are finished and done for and of no use in God's purpose plan, he brings them back. Naomi, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. My life is bitter. God's against me. I have no hope. I'm nothing. I'm just trying to, you know, survive the next day. And what happens? The whole story turns around. Peter denies the Lord three times. He's a failure. If anybody should not be used again in God's purpose, it's Peter. And yet here we are a few months later and he's standing on the southern steps preaching a sermon where 3,000 are going to be saved, are going to come into the kingdom in one day. By the way, there's a lot of controversy about, you know, the, the Jewish belief that, okay, the Torah was given on, on Shavuot as well. We celebrate that. We have all-night readings in the synagogues here. The, 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 the Word of God is really focused on. He said, well, you know, it's kind of tradition. And I was looking back as I was getting ready to study for this. Where does that tradition come from? And why do we keep it? And as I was looking at it, I was also caught by that number 3,000 as well. Why? Because when Moses goes up to get the, 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 the Ten Commandments, he comes down, the people are reveling and, 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 and are in idolatry and sexual immorality. How many people die? 3,000. How many people are brought into the kingdom on the same day? 3,000. There's something about in, this, in God's plan as well of redemption, even at Shavuot and the nations, regarding what? The new covenant and where it's going to be written. It's not going to be written on tablets of stone. It's going to be written on human hearts. So what does he choose in the middle 
of this as well. Acts 2. So we have people from all the nations here. Turn with me in your scripture. You have people from all the nations here in Acts 2. They're here for one of the Shalosh Regalim, the three going ups. And um, in this whole in this whole event, we have, um, we have obviously not only the nations, uh, Jewish people that are dwelling in, and basically the situation is similar to it was in the time of Yeshua, is similar to what it is here. We're kind of getting almost to even. There was more Jewish people living outside the land of Israel at that time than there were living inside. Okay? So we're a little bit similar in that, the, in that, the, in that the, you know, the, the people of Israel were in the land. They had gone through some period of independence. They had lost their independence. The Romans were in charge. Here we are. We're right now in a time where we're back in the land, but still probably the number, most likely the number is still greater living outside the land of Israel than are landing inside. But yet there was a, a period of peace where thousands came up to celebrate. They're coming up to celebrate and we've also got a lot of people that are probably not necessarily Jewish that are here. I don't know if you're picking this up from the scripture. Most likely they're proselytes, they're, they're converts. And then there are also other people, the scriptures kind of infers this as well. There are God-fears as well. So there are nations coming up. So many of them are Jews, but there are probably converts to Judaism, others. And here they are. Now, when the Holy Spirit falls... What two things happen? Well, there's the wind. It's kind of God's wonderful way of having a play on words, isn't it? Whenever he's going to do something, he's going to use the natural and the spiritual together. There's not that separation. He's going to use wind for wind. And so a rushing wind comes in the thing. The other one is the tongues of fire. We go back to John's word. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's an element of fire. I still don't know what it is. And by the way, when, I, when, when we get into the subject of the Holy Spirit, we start to touch on it, we realize we only, we have such a small bit of knowledge of what's yet to be revealed. There's no way we can absolutely touch on all, even this morning of what's going on. But he's making, they're making reference, I believe, to the fulfillment of John's word. And then the final thing, tongues of fire, they are declaring the works of God, the greatness of God in the different languages. Those languages are stretching from Rome all the way in the west, parts of North Africa, all the way out to Iran. And interestingly enough, maybe you don't know this, maybe you didn't read the literature, maybe you haven't been in the Heritage Center. Roddy can tell you, these were the same lands that the first emissaries that came here went in other words, they were fulfilling that, they were doing fulfillment of that first sort of group that was actually dispersed in all the nations. They're dispersed there again. And that was the platform of this place, was to reach out from here to all the Jewish people around the Mediterranean and throughout the Middle East. Same nations that are listed here. Peter gets up to speak his sermon. And um, I, don't, I, I don't have time really to go into all of it. But I just want to focus on a couple things. Whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out, two things happen. Two things that I can see that we can actually put our finger on anyway, personally, but probably as well corporately and even internationally or globally when it happens. One, people prophesy. They started to declare the greatness of God in their own language. If you want to look you might say, well, I don't know how to prophesy. When you declare the greatness of God out loud, you are prophesying. You're making a prophetic declaration. You are declaring to the atmosphere, God is great. By the way, I just hit a, I don't know about you, I mean, we're living in a difficult time. A lot of us have been shut in for many periods of time. People probably watching right now or still probably can't go in many places. We're, we're experiencing a lot more freedom than other people are. In a sense, we've been under house imprisonment for, you know, for the last few, two or three months. And, you know, when you're under house imprisonment for a long time, if you're not careful, you get to be a little bit introspective. In the beginning, it's kind of fun. After a while, it's old. It gets old very quick. 
And you kind of are done with your own world. And you got, I got to have people contact. I got to have somebody contact. I got to have God contact. You know, I've got to have somebody other than myself to kind of deal with right now. But when you're declaring the works of God, even when you get it out of your mouth, have you ever noticed how your thinking changes? You start to think differently. That's why we pray out loud. You don't pray to yourself. It's good to open your mouth. So when there, the Holy Spirit falls, there's this incredible declaration of God's greatness. Yeshua is exalted when the Holy Spirit falls. The second thing that I see in this whole situation is that people's lives, things change. There's transformation. So not only is there a declaration and there's prophecy, but there's incredible change that takes place. Now, a lot of us, some of us want change, some of us don't want change, but listen, we're a people that are constantly should be in the process of change. Why? Because we've been predestined to. People ask me, do you believe in predestination? I said, absolutely. I believe that we're all predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Romans 8, 29. That's our personal experience. That's what I, I, I don't know. If you, should, you should be praying that right now. Holy Spirit, conform me into the image of Yeshua. You know, not on the outside. We, I mean, we all not, not all of us look like Ninos here, but, you know, in the inside. <laughs> Has some good Aramaic roots. But, you know, that's it. We're after transformation. We want to become conformed. We want, the, we want people to say, hey, something's different here. So there's transformation. It exalts God. There's prophecy. There's transformation. You know, the other thing that I discovered in, in the study about the Holy Spirit, what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit, and this is from the John 7 scripture but it's also very clearly in the Acts 2, 33, 32 and 33 portion. The Holy Spirit cannot be poured out until Jesus is exalted. First, Yeshua has to be exalted and then the Holy Spirit is poured out. But then you know what? The, it goes in a kind of a cycle back. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, then Yeshua is exalted. They go together. Now, I don't know about you if you can remember the time. I mean, I believe that when we come to faith, the Holy Spirit inhabits us. But when, and this, the, listen, by the way, I'm using words to describe things that are spiritual realities. But when we're filled or empowered or baptized with the Holy Spirit, he breaks out, doesn't he? Something just breaks out in our lives. Something's expanded. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I came to a, a faith in a kind of Reformed tradition that was open to the Holy Spirit, but wasn't actually pursuing the Holy Spirit's gifts and work. We were actually, I was actually in Germany at the time, and we were on a three-day fast. We were praying and fasting over a, a Middle East nation, and during this time of prayer and fasting, I noticed I hadn't really done one before, and everybody else was a little bit more mature in the faith than I was. And I noticed that at times during these prayer and fasting times, people fell asleep. So I thought, you know, if it gets really tough, maybe I'll just go to sleep too. Well, a third day of this fast, they had a map on the floor. And we started praying over the Middle East, and I don't know what happened. The only explanation is the Holy Spirit came upon a few of us. Some others were sleeping, but a few of us were on our faces over this map, crying out. We were crying out so loudly that everybody else woke up. <laughs> and they said, the Holy Spirit's here. We better lay our hands on you. In other words, it's a good thing to do. When you see the Holy Spirit doing something, just, just get involved. Just jump in. So they said, hey, you know, let us pray for you. So they start to pray for me. And the only thing I can describe is that I was filled with the Holy Spirit at that point. Why do I know I was filled with the Holy Spirit? Because the prophetic word of God came clearly to me about the destination and the purpose of my life. And Jesus, Yeshua, became 40 feet high. I don't know how to explain it. I would close my eyes and Yeshua was like as tall as the ceiling. 
Now, nobody, they said, hey, you know, nobody, had, nobody told me. I just had to look back and say, hey, wait a minute. This is that. This is that. Now, when Peter's preaching on the Southern Temple Mount steps and he starts to bring out the, what, what scripture does he choose? Joel 2. He goes to Joel 2 and what does he say? He says, what you're seeing right now is that this is that now when you're looking at it carefully you're thinking wait a minute this is this is not everybody yet this is just a little bit right i mean this isn't the whole world yet this is a small little city tucked away in the middle east but what joel is speaking about is something globally and as i'm reading this i'm thinking wait a minute here this is not the end. There's more. There's more. I mean, that should encourage our hearts. There's more. And by the way, oftentimes, God meets us in the place of our greatest desperation, both individually, corporately, and globally. So when things get worse, be encouraged. They're about to get better as well. We have reason more than anyone else right now for our hope to be renewed for our hope to be fresh for our hope to be burning and bright I know we're looking at the facts of the situation around the world right now and it doesn't look good I went to bed last night I saw the news there was a whole outbreak in a school here in Jerusalem I thought oh no not again <laughs> you know and you're thinking okay it's gotten really bad it's going to get better no sometimes it's actually going to get a lot worse until it gets a lot better isn't it I mean, I'm not a prophet, I don't know, but in, in very real ways, the, the whole kind of pattern of Scripture, even of the place that I'm most passionate on, Isaiah 19, is that he strikes Egypt and strikes it hard and strikes it again and then heals and then makes it a blessing in the rest of the Middle East and then to the nations. So listen, guys, we need to hang on right now. We need to hold on. We need to be continually refreshed and persevere and hold on to these promises because there is an incredible mystery that's about to be revealed. So in closing, just to kind of bring us together here, the Holy Spirit and his, and his outpoint affects us personally. It affects us in our community corporately and it affects us globally why because he in acts one and and you know acts one the whole series, acts one, the, the, the disciples are asking that question are you going to restore the kingdom of god and by the way whenever you see the kingdom of god in the new covenant just a little po point of of reference the holy spirit opens up the kingdom of god in the new covenant Whenever you see the, the kingdom of God being preached in the Holy Spirit, they almost go synonymous. Why? Because the kingdom of God is something that's out there in the future, isn't it? We're hoping for it. We have, a, we have a down payment right now, but we're waiting for its fulfillment when Yeshua returns. So the kingdom of God is the future invading the present. We often look at the world from the past to the present. God looks at it from the future to the present. And when we look at the kingdom of God, we understand that it's, it's the future coming into the present. It's now, but it's not yet. But you know what? The Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 1, 14 and 15, and 2 Corinthians 5, is also a down payment guaranteeing what? What's to come? The fullness. We don't have it all right now. Nobody has it all right now. We have a lot more together than we have individually. But we don't have it all yet. We have a down payment guaranteeing what's to come. And so what does it do? It empowers us for witness. That's one. Personally, it empowers us for witness. Two, what else does it do? It empowers us to become like him. It empowers us to become like him. It conforms us to the image. The Holy Spirit puts the divine nature in us. You know, by the way, we don't have to do a lot. It's kind of incredible, isn't it? 
We just have to say yes. A lot of God's greatest covenantal work with us is us just saying yes and keeping our hearts soft and receiving and receiving and repenting and receiving and repenting and receiving, right? If we just keep repenting and receiving, we'll keep going in this, won't we? Finally, personally, it's to obey the commandments of Yeshua. Now you might look at Yeshua's commandments and say, those are really great, they're beautiful, they're inspiring, but they're not doable. And you know what? You're absolutely right. There is no way you can love your enemy, forgive your enemies, there's no way you can keep your thoughts completely pure, except there's no way that you can give away everything you have, there's no way you can visit the sick, go to prisons, I mean, you can't do any of that unless the Holy Spirit starts to transform your heart and your inside. The commandments of Yeshua are completely unattainable. While they may say to us, well, aren't they great? Aren't they beautiful? If we are serious about obeying them, the Holy Spirit is everything for obeying the commands of Jesus. So they give us power to obey the commands of Jesus, which makes us then witnesses, doesn't it? Secondly, it, the Holy Spirit births the New Testament and the New Covenant community. Acts 2, the New Covenant community comes. The Holy Spirit is crucial. It's the glue that draws us together. And if there's something else that's drawing us together, that's not a good thing. We need the, the New Covenant community is birthed by the Holy Spirit. It's not birthed by nationalism. It's not birthed by theology. It's not birthed by great speakers. It is birthed and maintained by the Holy Spirit. And if it's not, go somewhere where it is. Amen? Finally, it releases the gifts. It, it gives the grace to encourage one another. Life happens in the body because the gifts are released and people get encouraged and built up in their faith. Finally, it releases corporate revelation and exalts the name of Yeshua. Our witness, our witness in this world is a million times stronger as a community than it is individually. They'll know you're my disciples if what? If you have love for one another. If you do this right, your witness is stronger how you walk out together than how you do individually. That's why the mega commandments are the mega commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Your biggest witness is not what you do alone. It's what we do together. That shows the yet-to-be-believing world that Yeshua is among us. Amen? It's what we do together that counts. It's not what I do individually. I had to get that from my wife because when I moved to the Middle East, it was all about what we do together that counts, not what I do individually. She would say to me, when are we going to do our quiet time? Go, what do you mean quiet? I do my quiet time, you do yours. No, 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 we have to do it together. People in the Middle East understand this. It's what they do together that counts. That's why the Jewish people are constantly searching for community together, walking this out together. Finally, it brings the nations to faith. It brings a revelation. This is for the globally. It joins them together covenantally with the Jewish people in God's purpose to bless, redeem, and disciple the nations. The first people who heard those commandments, they were Jewish people. But then the nations come in, don't they? They come in. They're grafted in. You're all grafted in, and then we do it together. Ephesians 2, you're without hope, without promise in the world. But now, through Yeshua, you are covenantly joined to us, and we walk this out together. That dividing wall has been broken. And through our diversity, we exhibit the glory of God to the nations. And the more diverse we are, the more glory God gets, and the more His glory goes to the nations. Amen? And so if we just take it, no, I just want to be around people that are like me. I just want to be with my group. I want to be with my age group. I want to be with my nationality. I want to be with people who think the way I do. We lose. We lose and God loses. But the more diversity that we choose to walk in as a community, the greater glory goes to the Lord and the more it's exhibited to the nations. 
That's why Isaiah 19 is so crucial for the Middle East. Because you have Egyptians, you have Kurds, Turks, you have Assyrians, you have Jordanians, Lebanese, you have Israelis walking together, exhibiting the glory of God. Finally, the Holy Spirit brings the nations into right relationship with the Jewish people. It's not the Jews who join the church. It's the nations who join the Jewish people. And through that whole reconciliation, even as we see it in Revelation, it's a prophetic declaration of the mystery of God that exalts Yeshua as the Son and as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we want to thank you for this wonderful day that we not only remember, but Lord, we, it's almost like the communion. We, we expect it again, God, and again, that you'll pour out your spirit again, that your old men will, the old men will dream, young men will see visions. It will come on the men servants, on maid servants. Everybody gets touched, God. It's not for a select few, Lord. But God, it's for all the nations and all the peoples. It's for the rich, the poor. It's for black, white, brown, everything in between, God. Lord, you're no respecter of persons. And Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit opens up the covenant of promises and purpose and plan. The adoption as sons and daughters of all the nations into your family, God. So, Lord, we want to thank you today, Lord, for this glorious truth, God. And, Lord, we want to do what those first disciples did when the Holy Spirit fell. We want you to fill us with boldness that we can be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, not in our power, but God, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, because you said it's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my Spirit, declares the Lord. So Lord, we thank you for these glorious promises that come to fulfillment on this Shavuot Pentecost Sunday. And Lord, we say thank you for bringing us into your family, God. This incredible global family, Lord, that's waiting for your soon return. And Lord, together we cry, Maranatha, come, Lord Yeshua. Come quickly, come soon. We long for your return today and the fullness of your Holy Spirit's work on this land and this nation and on this earth. Shem Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.